back to our Atheist Bible Study, where we read the Bible so you don't have to. I'm Nicole Demery, and my credentials for telling you about the Bible is that I was raised Catholic. And I'm Ashton Demery. Uh, I was raised Protestant. And you may have noticed that we have the same last name, and that is because we are brother and sister and also lovers. <laughs> I don't know about that one. No, I'm kidding. We're married. <laughs> we might be related. I don't know. We both made the mistake of marrying another white person, so. Yeah, in the same town. <laughs> same rural town. Yeah. All right, so we are starting out with Jacob and Esau meeting back up again. So should we do a recap of a short recap of last episode? So we're we're picking up from last time when Jacob was sort of freaking out that they, he knew that Esau was going to be coming, and he thought that Esau was mad and going to try to kill him and all of his family. So essentially, he starts out this one from there. He's about to meet Esau, and he thinks that they're going to come in and kill everybody. So he go, goes ahead and organizes his family from most disposable to least. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it says in Genesis 3.3.2, he puts the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children. And Rachel and Joseph, last of all. <laughs> <laughs> I would be like, you got to be kidding me, Dad. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> Very clear who his favorites are and who he's okay with dying. Uh, and then it all ends up being for nothing because uh, then he meets Esau. Esau's not mad. He runs and embraces him. And then that's pretty much it. Then they sep- go their separate ways again. And Jacob goes to settle and sketch him. Not really much to that story. Yeah. Okay. But I feel like Esau is really sweet. You know, like, I feel like he's just always this, like, kind of lovable dummy. Yeah. He's like, what are you talking about, man? It's old news. Yeah. He's like, I don't care about that. I'm doing great. Like. Yeah. So that's pretty much it for Jacob meeting Esau. He goes to Sketchem. And then this is where the next big story happens. Because while in Sketchem, you have the rape of Dina. So it says that Dina, daughter of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. So while she's out, Sketchem finds her. And he lays with her by force, it says. Uh, so she's raped. And then Jacob finds out about this. And he's very angry and upset. And Sketchem comes to meet with Jacob and sort of barters with him about making Dina his wife. And then the sons of Jacob come in and talk to Jacob. And they are pissed about this. Yeah. They don't want to let it go or let Jacob just marry her off. Mm-hmm. So then they go and they essentially trick Sketchem. They tell him. Okay, you can marry her, but the reason we can't let you marry her right now is that you're not circumcised. So he tells them, hey, you need to circumcise yourself and you need to circumcise all of your people, mm-hmm. all your men. And so they all, they do this. It's worth it to sketch him. And while they're still in pain from circumcising themselves, his sons, Simeon and Levi, and Levi go and kill all of the men in the, the town. They destroy the place and then they take all the women as slaves. So... They're upset about this rape, and then they go and take their women as slaves, presumably yeah. to rape them. Yeah. Uh, this story. Okay, so when you when you read this story, obviously it's disgusting, and there's this line in there where it's talking about. So after he rapes her, it says, "And his soul was drawn to Dina, daughter of Jacob. He loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her," which is so creepy. I can't even imagine just the trauma of being raped. 
And then the guy thinking he's in love with you and whispering sweet nothings into your ear. That is terrifying. That's stuff out of a horror movie. It's so, so creepy. I don't even know how she got out of there. Like, I, because next it sounded like he would murder her or something. Right. It, like, switches really quick from he laid with her by force to he loved the girl. Yeah. And the other thing I hate about this, too, is it's kind of selling this narrative that that's possible. That you can rape someone and harm them and then be in love with them. Yeah. I just feel like that's like such a kind of archetype of abusive relationships where it's like, oh, but they love me and stuff. But can they really, you know, if they're hurting you like that? But that's if you take the story at face value, which, of course, we do not. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to talk a little bit more about what might actually be going on? Yeah. So the first time I read it, like you said, that was the worst line for me. I was like, that's really awful Mm -hmm. reading that. But as I sort of read it a second time and then looked into some of the background of this. It gets a lot more complicated because one, if you notice, there's never any discussion about how Dina feels about this at all. There's no like Dina comes crying back. Right. She's uh, depressed for days, stays in her room. There's nothing like that. There's, the story is not about her at all. And it doesn't even seem like she says like, no, dad, I don't want to marry him. Don't. Not even that. There's yeah, nothing there's nothing like that. Like that. So the story really isn't about the rape isn't about what he did to her it's what he did to jacob and jacob's sons yeah because he's embarrassed all of them Mm -hmm. he has defiled his daughter not so much that he forcefully raped her he defiled her because now she's no longer a virgin and so this is one an embarrassment to jacob but it's also a financial burden because he can't go and marry off his daughter now which is a you know important thing politically Mm -hmm. and financially to do in this time and he won't be able to marry off because she's not a virgin. And so she's going to be dependent on him forever. And he won't, he can't use her for anything. She's worthless to him and a cost. Yeah. So I saw seeing where this guy named Alexander Roth. So he thinks that the actual act of rape isn't enough to consider it a defilement. He thinks it's, he thinks it's because they're Canaanites. And so the defilement comes from this being an interracial relationship and that's why he calls it a defilement yeah and i i found the same kind of thing so if you look forward to some of the other chapters by bible deuteronomy has a specific law essentially for how you deal with rape Mm -hmm. basically it says if you have sex with a virgin consensually or unconsensually you are to give the father 50 shekels Mm -hmm. and then you have to marry her that's what sketchum is trying to do he's trying to make say hey i'm gonna marry her i'll give a a dowry or whatever it is yeah and this will all be taken care of but they can't do that because he's a canaanite Mm -hmm. if this was a jew that had raped her or had sex with her whatever it may be Mm -hmm. it would not be a problem they just do that and it'd be done but he can't marry her off to a canaanite yeah i just like you were saying earlier i really hate that we don't get her perspective because it's just completely left out, and it would just be so interesting to know that side to it. But that's the thing about the Bible is we never get, like, the women's side of it. No, it, it, again, it's, it's not apparently relevant to this passage at all. It's all about Jacob and his sons. Uh, another thing that I found on this is whether or not she was actually rape really comes down to, like, the wording they use. Rape is not a word that exists in the ancient Hebrew language. There's no specific word for rape and there's no headings in the torah the the headings is something specifically added to the bible uh, revisions that we have okay basically if you look at other parts of the bible of clear instances of rape mm-hmm. they always use the same couple of words 
So they use word the word hazak or tafis. Hazak is to grab and tafis is to seize, which is really the key indicator of rape. They don't use that word here. Uh, and that's why other versions of the Bible, the one other than the ones we're reading, don't say that he laid with her by force. They say he took her and lay with her and defiled her. Mm. And even though there's that passive language that kind of sounds rapey, that's just how they talked about women in the Bible in general. Right. Uh, anytime some one of the patriarchs marries, says he took her and lay with her or made him made her his wife. Right. It's always passive language when it comes to the women. Yeah. Another thing. I saw was some of the rabbinic interpretations and really the victim blaming that's taken place for centuries around this is, uh, so Rabbi Resh Lakish from around the 200th century, uh, he argued basically that a lewd mother will have a lewd daughter. Gross. So he looks at that first line where it says, and Dina, daughter of Leah, right? It's really attributing Um, Dina to Leah, who with her father tricked Jacob into marrying her first. Yeah, but that so, wasn't even really her. It was her dad, if we're... Yeah. yeah. No, I, but it, I get it. But it puts it, it yeah. more on Leia than Jacob. Yeah. So it's like, you know, she goes out into the city to meet with the daughters mm-hmm. of the land, find out what they do, how do they dress, what kinds of things are they doing. Mm-hmm. She's wanting to get around and have some fun. And that's... So it, it basically saying this is really on, on her. That's <sighs> what the story's about. And she embarrasses her family. And then they're in this situation. Jeez, yeah. So, yeah, it's one of those stories that starts out really bad and then just gets worse. Worse the more you look into it, yeah. All right, so then we get a name change for Jacob. Uh, Yep, so then yeah, after this, they say that Jacob goes to Bethel. God tells him to go to Bethel. And as he's leaving, he's to take all his foreign gods or house gods, kind of comes up again. And then a terror from God falls on all the cities around them so that they won't pursue them, presumably mm-hmm. because Simeon and Levi go and uh, kill everybody in the city. So probably that's why everybody's trying to chase them. Yeah. And then God decides, well, you're still... My people. My people. So it, <laughs> I guess I'll kill all these other people to you know prevent them from killing you for killing an entire city. Yeah. Uh, and then, like you said, Jacob gets blessed again and renamed to Israel a second time, which feels really inconsistent. Yeah, and we're just going to keep calling him Jacob because they never really stick to it anyways with calling him Israel. Yeah, it'll make it really confusing if we don't. Yeah, so then we have the birth of Benjamin, which is going to be... So actually, I had a, a, a thing I looked into for why they keep switching. So the discussion about why they have a second a second renaming of Jacob here is kind of explained by the, the source critical hypotheses or a discussion about what the different sources of the Bible are. The idea is that you have the three different, basically independent versions of the Bible that have existed and then were brought together at some point. And they call them the Yahweh text, the Alois text, and the priestly text. The Yahweh text always uses Yahweh to refer to God. Alois text generally uses Yahweh Elohim or, or Elohim to refer okay. to God. And then there's the priestly text, which is it comes later and it's sort of a revision or bringing together of both of them. So the Alois text, if you look at it, tends to prefer to use Israel, which is under, understood to be the Alois text was composed in the north of Israel and the kingdom of Israel, where Israel is the most important monarch, whereas the Yahweh text prefers Jacob. And that text is understood to be composed in the south, the kingdom of Judah. And that's where Abraham is considered the most important patriarch. 
Judah is exclusively a Yahweh character. He doesn't show up in the other parts of the Bible, only okay. in the parts that are supposed to be Yahweh in text. So what it really just comes down to is that the two different versions of the Bible are sticking with their preferred mo- uh, preferred patriarch. And then the priestly text kind of comes in and just switches back and forth between them anyways to try to be consistent with the other texts is what happens. Yeah. It's so basically it's just because the Bible is a Frankenstein and it's just all like pieces of different peoples. Yep, there was just no consistent one source writing any of this. Got it. All right. So, then we have the birth of Benjamin and the death of Rachel. So, Rachel gives Jacob another son and it, which will be his youngest, but unfortunately she passes away giving birth to him. So, she originally names him Benoni which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob says, fuck that. I'm going to call him Benjamin because that means <laughs> son of my right hand. And apparently we just don't respect our dying wife's wishes. Yeah, just a real fuck you to, <laughs> to old Rachel, his favorite wife, apparently. Yeah. I always end up looking at people's sermons on these stories and the meaning that they take from this one. And so this is kind of seen as a story as like, God will, even in tragedy, like, give you good things. So it's like, even though Rachel died, he still got a son out of it. And that's just so, like, I don't know. When I was religious, these things made sense to me. And I was like, yeah, okay. God, you know, gives good things. And sometimes he takes good things away kind of thing. But really, that's just kind of life. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes good things happen. And sometimes bad things happen. And sometimes they happen at the same time. And, yeah, there's not really any ultimate plan to any of it. Right. And it feels a lot more fucked up if you take it and now attribute it to decision making and a plan rather than yeah exactly it feels worse knowing that someone purposely was like oh well Rachel will die and then you know but you'll get a son yeah Yeah, and then that line that's like do not be afraid for now you will have another son like yeah that's supposed to make her feel better (laughs) right yeah honestly if it were me I'd you fulfilled your purpose as a woman (laughs) if if it were reversed and you you were the one who had children I would be a little like more I mean, I think before I'd be grateful to have something to remind me of you, but now I'd be like, God, I lost my partner and now I have to raise a baby on my own. But I guess he's got several other wives, so. True. All right, so then the next part of this story is, it says Reuben has sex with his stepmom. He sleeps with Bilhah, and it just kind of ends there. It just says that he, he sleeps with her and Jacob knows about it and it just seems like there's no immediate consequences for it. They just kind of move on with the story. Yeah, it just drops in there that he has sex with his dad's concubine and then they move on. Yeah. He just invents the stepmom fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> he created that porn category. He's yep. the first to do it. All right, and then Isaac dies and nothing really big there just we lose our patriarch that we've been talking about for a while and kind of move on to the next one yeah and it's been like 14 years since he's apparently on his deathbed and gives his final blessings to jacob right because in the last (laughs) podcast we talked about the whole trickery of jacob stealing esau's blessing yeah and he did that because he's like i'm about to die yeah he's blind he's about to die and then 14 years later he actually dies dies. (laughs) yeah so then we have Two chapters of just kind of listing of Esau's descendants and the clans and kings of Edom. And I don't know. These are always boring to me. But basically, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, are usually the bad guys in the Bible. So anytime you hear about Edomites, they're normally not doing great things. And eventually, they later get conquered by David. So now, 
we have our stories that center around Joseph. So when we first see Joseph, he is basically snitching on his brothers. <laughs> so he it says something about Joseph comes back in and gives a bad report of his brothers. And this kind of starts this whole sibling rivalry. Well, and also on top of that, he's kind of the favorite since he's Rachel's child and he's the oldest of Rachel's children and so Jacob gives him like a special coat and stuff that everybody's jealous of and then on top of that Joseph starts having these dreams and he has the just not social awareness to not tell his brothers about them so he he first dreams that him and his brothers are binding sheaves of wheat and his stands upright and then all of his brothers sheaves of wheat bow down to his and he tells his brothers about this (laughs) and of course They're just like, okay, what the fuck? Why would you say that? Yeah, why are you being (laughs) such a little prick right now? Yeah, we already don't like you. (laughs) Then he goes to sleep again, has another dream. But in this one, the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow down to him. And the sun and the moon are supposed to represent his mother and father. So of course, again, he decides to tell his brothers about this. And they hate him even more for it. Yeah, and his parents. So now everybody knows. And his parents are just kind of like, huh, okay, I'll keep that in mind. And then his brothers are like, you know what, dude? Fuck you. We're going to get rid of you. And so they do. <laughs> yep. This one, for me as a kid, I remember reading, hearing this story. And I think I just interpreted it as Joseph being really naive and young and just simple-minded. Just, hey, guys, I had a dream. I just had this dream. I don't know what it means. What do you think it means? And they clearly understand, and he doesn't. <laughs> I had this weird dream where... <laughs> You were all bowing to me. What do you think that could mean? <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. But now, reading it now, it feels mischievous. I feel like mm-hmm. he knows what's going on, and he's just coming up to his brothers like, turns out, God picked me. <laughs> and, you know, and it's really obvious that his dad favors him, so it seems like, you know, you don't need necessarily a God prophecy or a dream to tell you your life's going to be good in these times if your father likes you, because... Turns out your father is going to pass down everything to you if he really likes you and you're going to do well. Yeah. Then the other thing was I really keyed in on that makes a bad report part uh, when I was reading this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was like, what, is, what are they talking about? They're talking about make, making a bad report. Like, well, what did his brothers do? And it seems like, I think it says that Jacob sort of reprimanded him for it. Mm-hmm. So I looked into that and what they're talking about. And it seems like his brother's. We're doing something out in the field. There's some discussion about what that might have been, maybe having sex with women and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or just generally behaving not consistent with what this tradition, what Jacob's tradition is supposed to teach you to do. Mm-hmm. And then he gets reprimanded because it's seen as sort of gossiping or, you know, being a snitch or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I found this Midrash, which is by Shallow. Akadosh. So, well, actually, there was one midrash that just talks about his brothers were eating meat that was not slaughtered and they were having forbidden relationships with women, which is what I was talking about. But the shallow Hakadosh version, who is a prominent rabbi in the 1500s, he tries to reconcile sort of the inconsistencies that all of son- the sons of Jacob were holy and righteous with the idea that maybe they were eating unslaughtered meat and having sex with women. Mm-hmm. So what he says is the brothers would create artificial animals and women, which were called golems. They're these magical creations what? out of, like, mud. And so they could do whatever they wanted with these golems, right? They're magical creations that the brothers are creating out of mud, what similar to how Adam was created. But they're not real. So they didn't transgress any laws. Okay, didn't break okay, any rules. Hold on, hold on. Let me get this straight. <laughs> so this guy was trying to tell people uh-huh. that the brothers were taking mud and actually 
doing magic and creating women to fuck and animals to eat. Yes. And this was all fine because it was all, what, fake? It's or not real. They're not, not real. God's creations. But they were real. Like, people, he was trying to say that they really did exist. This isn't in their imaginations. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not real people or whatever, apparently. Okay, okay. But they're golems, right? What happened to them after they were done? Uh, I have no idea. It doesn't okay. go into that. Okay. I didn't read into that much, but because they're not actual creatures, they're not transgressing any laws. And Jacob's or uh, Joseph sees them, mistakes them for actual creatures, and then goes and tells his dad. And so the moral, the moral of the story mm-hmm. is that you should be careful to judge others favorably and not gossip. <clears throat> because it could just be could mud just be creatures. Golems. <laughs> oh my could gosh. Just be golems. Oh Jesus. Okay. <laughs> okay. So tell us about. What happens to Joseph? What do his brothers do to him? So Joseph comes out to find his brothers in the field because Jacob sends him out there. Mm-hmm. And they see him approaching, so they start talking. And they're like, you know what? We're going to kill this this guy. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of his shit. <laughs> so they talk about killing him, but then Reuben doesn't want to kill him. Reuben's like, hey, let's not kill him. Let's not dirty our hands with this. Let's go throw him in a hole with no water and leave him. And Reuben's plan, though, is that he's going to come back later. He's going to grab him and take him back to their father and save him. Okay. So they get there. They throw him in the hole. But then they see some Ishmaelites coming up. And Judah gets a bright idea. He's like, why should we not profit from this? We're tired of him anyways. Mm -hmm. Why can't we gain from him? He's our brother to do with as we please. So they do and sell him to the Ishmaelites as a slave. And they make it look like an animal killed him. By like tearing up his uh, coat and and stuff like that, and then they bring this back to Jacob. Jacob thinks he's dead, and he puts sackcloth on his loins. What does that mean? <laughs> um, I yeah, I was really confused about that too. I thought he was like icing his nuts or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I read it and I, sackcloth sounded like an ice pack or something. I thought he was like putting that in his lap, and it made no sense. Like that's what it sounded like. Yeah. So what is it? So it's it just it's a a mourning dress. Oh. It's just the article of clothing that's called sackcloth, and you put it around your waist, and it's what you wear when you're mourning, I guess. Okay, so Not many details in the Bible where I'm just like, I don't care. <laughs> All right, our next. Oh my gosh, I love this one. <laughs> All right, tell us about Judah and Tamar. Oh yeah, so <clears throat> Judah marries a Canaanite, which we all know is big no no. Mm-hmm. Uh, cursed. Cursed. Yeah, his firstborn is heir. And heir is wicked, so God kills him. And then, but before Judah marries him off to Tamar, and so once he's dead and Tamar is now a widow, Judah sends his other brother, Onan, to make Tamar his wife. And so Mm -hmm. And he tells him, like, this is your duty. Since since your brother died, you need to go into his wife and make heirs for your brother. Yeah. And then Onan is like, I'm not about that. I'm not making heirs for my brother. So he... Invents the pull-out method. Mm-hmm. This guy is a, uh, he's a revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And Odin says he does this because he knows the child will not be his. So God doesn't like the pull-out method, mm-hmm. and he decides to go ahead and kill Onan too. And so now Tamar is all alone. Yeah, I think this one is so interesting because growing up as a Catholic, it, we did get the message that birth control is evil and that you should not be doing it, that you can basically use like the calendar method where the family planning method where you kind of plan around like your period and stuff but you shouldn't be using any kind of birth control and that includes the pull-out method (laughs) and i just think it's really funny that the consequence for the pull-out method in the bible is death yep god will smite you 
for pulling out and putting your seat on the ground. I don't remember talking about this at all in Protestant church. Okay, it was a really big deal when I was getting... Big enough a deal that they dedicated a day's worth of teaching to it. Mm. So, yep, gotta love the Bible for that. (laughs) So, yeah, then Judah tells Tamar, hey, just wait, I have another son, Shelah. He'll grow up eventually, and then I can marry you to him. Judah waits and waits and waits, and then Shelah's essentially getting to the age where you should be able to marry him, but I guess Judah just forgets. So Tamar gets mad. She puts on a veil, and she goes to the into the city and pretends to be a prostitute so that, well, she puts on a veil, and then Judah thinks she's a prostitute. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, what does it mean to pretend to be a prostitute? Yeah. Like, oh, just kidding. I'm not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, so Judah takes her and has sex with her, and then gives her, promises her some livestock and gives her a staff or something like that so that she can come find him again. And then later comes out that she's pregnant and Judah's like, all right, well, we're going to burn you because mm-hmm. you are a slut. And, <laughs> and we don't have out. sluts in this yeah. house. We don't have any, there's no going out and making a prostitute of yourself. Meanwhile, he is, he thinks he's sleeping with prostitutes. Yeah. Isn't he married to, is he a widow at this point or is he married and sleeping with prostitutes? Doesn't say anything about his Canaanite wife dying. He okay. doesn't have a name. Okay. So then she says, it's this man with the, you know, the staff and whatnot mm-hmm. who did this. And then Judah realizes it's his kid. And he's, oh my gosh, I'm the one at fault. Yeah. And I, I guess he just says it's okay. That's pretty much it to that. Mm-hmm. And then there's a weird discussion about the children who are twins. One of them sticks their hand out and they're like, oh, this is the firstborn. And then the other one pulls it back and puts their hand out. I don't know why they talk about that. Okay, I think it's a weird mix-up. My theory is that this is just somehow accidentally got recycled from our Jacob and Esau story. Yeah. Because this is another weird battle of the twins inside the womb. And then the last getting, I'm getting so tired of these storylines getting recycled again and again about the last born. Oh, no, we actually get born first. And then also I'm better than you. Yeah, I think it, like you're saying, but it's like a different version of it. Mm-hmm. One of the other uh, sources, and then a re- an editor moved it to later because they didn't want to have two different stories of one where he's grabbing the heel and one where he does the hand switcheroo. Yeah. All right. So then we zoom out again out of uh, Judah and we go back to our main guy, which is Joseph, who is now working for a man named Potiphar and basically running all of his affairs. And so he's pretty powerful dude and he's smart. And we are to believe that Potiphar's wife finds him incredibly sexy and keeps trying to sleep with Joseph. She keeps making advances and he keeps saying no. And then finally she makes one really aggressive attempt to sleep with him. She like pulls his shirt off of him and it's not really clear if they get caught or something. But then Joseph is still telling her no. And so she gets really upset about this and tells everybody else that he raped her. So then he gets sent to prison. Yeah. Potiphar must be really weak in bed or something. Shut up. Guy's just not doing it for her. And she really, (laughs) you know, according to this story. Yeah. Like, okay. I'm not trying to deny that, you know, men can be sexually harassed. I think that does, you know, there are cases of that. But I think it's pretty rare. And also, like we were talking about earlier, the Bible does not give us any, you know, we're not getting the true perspective of Potiphar. She did not write this story. This is some secondhand account of what happened. So I'm a bit skeptical as to who is really doing the pursuing in this situation. 
yeah, it's just like there's so many. I just feel like these stories of women making fake sexual assault cries for help are they just get played up so much, yeah, that it people just kind of extrapolate it to like, oh, well, that's every sexual assault case kind of thing. And so it feels like another victim blame story for sure. Yeah. Mm. And I just, I just don't like that. It's a story in the Bible for lots of Christians to read and listen to. And I think it just kind of lends to this whole of like, we should be skeptical of like what women are saying when in reality, it's a big deal for women to come forward and they don't gain a lot from it. You know, in this story, Potiphar's wife gets her way and Joseph gets sent to prison. It's like la di da for her. But generally that woman's reputation is completely destroyed by the man she is accusing and she ends up losing a lot more from it than gaining so there's no real reason for women no like valid reason for um, women to come forward other than just trying to get your story out there and that's my two cents on that (laughs) yeah i think what a christian would probably say is well you don't know that that's not what happened here Mm-hmm. And I think my response to that is these stories are meant to be kind of prototypic, like they're parables that are meant to be representative of what they believe is just general reality. Mm-hmm. And so by telling this narrative, the idea is that this is not uncommon or this is something that happens. Mm-hmm. And I assume that then as is now, it's extremely rare for someone to make something like this up. So it's just I, I just wonder to what extent these kind of stories shape our modern understanding of sexual assault and victims and, and what role they play in it. Yeah. And so I, this reminded me of a, a movie that I had, I've actually never seen, but I had heard about. And while I was trying to find this movie, I found several other movies with very similar plot lines where there is a fake rape accusation. So, but the movie that I was thinking of is called disclosure and it's got Demi Moore and basically she gets, promoted in her job over this other guy and then she tries to have sex with him at work and at first he's like kind of into it and then he eventually refuses her so she gets really angry at him and then files a sexual harassment complaint against him but then in the end of it she gets caught and stuff and he gets his job back and stuff and it's like a to me it just feels like some guy's weird sexual fantasy yeah you know it's just every scumbag's wet dream Yeah, it was just kind of like off-putting to find so many popular, I don't know if they were popular, but you know, like movies where that's like a thing, where women are making fake sexual assault accusations. Yeah. And it's just like kind of of a fantasy. Right. It's not really common. And I've seen the like one or two times where it does happen and it becomes, and they get caught. Mm -hmm. But that just, those articles, you know, when they happen, just become like, they blow up big time. Right. Everyone sees them. Because sexual assault where it actually happens is so common we just don't think about it those articles don't blow up it's because it's just it happens mm-hmm. feels like part of everyday life right uh, another thing i had for this is i, I kind of looked into the other stories around it like the rabbinic stories and then also the quran's take on it mm-hmm. uh it's really interesting because they for one they give her a name which is what was it what this harlot deserves a name yeah uh it's zuleika Oh, it's fun. So the Midrash by Sefer Hayasher and also the Quran have this story where Zuleika is being mocked by her friends because she's just infatuated with Joseph. And I read a lot of the, the Midrash one, and they go to great lengths to describe the level of just how beautiful Joseph is <laughs> and how obsessed she is with him. Sounds a little gay to me. <laughs> and so 
she brings them her friends, her Egyptian friends for dinner. And she wants to prove a point. So she brings Joseph into the room. And then before she does this, though, she gives them all uh, like oranges or clementines or something. Okay. And they're sitting there with knives and they're, they're cutting them up into pieces to eat. Okay. Joseph walks in and they are so mesmerized. They completely lose track of what they're doing and they all cut their hands up like badly and don't even feel it. What? Because they're just mesmerized. And then she tells them, you know, if look you're cutting at- an orange, you're getting citrus in that. It's going to burn. Yeah. They don't feel it because Joseph's too good looking. Oh my gosh. Really, really good looking. No, I just can't. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, she tells them, look at your hands. See, it, you couldn't look away from him. <clears throat> and then also in both of these stories, Joseph proves himself innocent by doing this whole thing where he, some, I guess, wise men mm-hmm. look at it and they're trying to judge whether or not he did it. And they say, in, in this version, his shirt gets ripped instead of just leaving his whole shirt laying next to her. Okay. So they say, okay, if it's ripped in the back or in the front, mm. that's how you determine, was he running away from her? Or was he facing her when his shirt got ripped? Mm. And that's how they decide. And they determine that he didn't try to rape her. But then it just says, and then a time came and they decided it'd be a good idea to put Joseph in jail. (laughs) That's basically what it says. Like they prove him innocent and then later they just go ahead and throw him in jail. I assume just because he embarrassed them. Mm. I don't know. Okay. That that makes sense, actually. But yeah, Joseph also after this uh, ends up doing pretty well in jail. Yep, so he goes to jail, and he is jailed with two prisoners who are from people who served the pharaoh. So there's the cup bearer, cup bearer for the pharaoh, pharaoh, and the bread maker or the baker? Yeah, bread maker. Okay, so <laughs> it, it talks about how these guys are walking around the prison, and they, they just look really sad. They're just so bummed out, and Joseph goes up to them, and he's like, hey, why are you guys, what's going on? He's like, we had dreams, and nobody can interpret them. I was going to say, prison isn't a bad enough reason to be bummed out. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not good enough to be. Hey, guys, why the long faces? <laughs> yeah, also, I, I, I forgot to put this in the notes, but I definitely remember reading something about how Joseph is treated pretty well in prison. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's getting taken care of. Anyway, so these guys are so sad because no one can tell them what their dreams mean, so... Joseph says the Lord knows, and what he really means is he he can do it for them. So the cupbearer goes and he tells him, In my dream I saw a vine with three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its grapes became ripe. I held the king's cup and squeezed the grapes into it. Then I gave the cup to the king. And nobody could interpret this. And Joseph tells him That's a doozy. <laughs> I know, what could that mean? Joseph tells him that in three days he'll be tried and let go and he'll he'll be restored to his position as the cupbearer to the pharaoh. And so the bread maker goes, hey, that was a pretty good assessment of his dream. I'll, I'll tell him mine. And so he tells him, in my dream, in it I was carrying three bread baskets stacked on top of my head. The top basket was full of all kinds of baked things for the king, but birds were eating them. And Joseph just goes, you're going to die in three days. <laughs> <laughs> I love to imagine, (laughs) because obviously in the Bible, they just go on to the next story. But like, can you imagine the awkwardness in the room after Jessica's like... Worst palm reading I've ever had. Yeah. (laughs) Zero out of five stars. Yeah, the, the only thing I had about this one was when they tell Joseph about his dreams, he tells them interpretations are for God basically, yeah. you know, you can't interpret dreams. Dream interpretation is for God. And he goes, 
Now let me tell you what your dream means. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I was looking into this because like, honestly, I think it's pretty weird that Christians believe that you can interpret dreams. And I was mm-hmm. wondering if anybody today, like, if there's any spiritual leaders today who interpret dreams or claim to have that ability. And basically all the blogs are like, um, yes, there are people, but you need to be wary of them because you never know who's telling the truth and who's just taking advantage. And I was like, isn't that kind of the case of Joseph too? How are we to know that he's actually getting signals from God and has this gift to interpret dreams? It's so silly, as is all of religion. So then what he says does come true. And the cupbearer promises him that he'll, you know, tell the Pharaoh about him. And he forgets. Yep. <laughs> Until the Pharaoh starts having dreams. And then the cupbearer remembers and tells him that there is someone who can interpret his dreams. Because apparently nobody in Pharaoh's kingdom can interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Mm-hmm. So, these are Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And then he dreams a second time. Also, they didn't gain any weight. They're on, I don't know. They nope, were still diet, ugly and thin. Diet cows, I guess. <laughs> um, okay, so his next dream. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And, okay, so I looked into why nobody could interpret his dream. Because, again, these feel like you could make something out of them. Like, I'm sure Pharaoh had some priests who could come up with something. Oh, yeah. When I read this, I was like, this is how you know this story is completely made up. Because just imagine a bunch of wise men, Uh supposed wise men and magicians coming to the king. They are all about, you know, making some extra cash and not disappointing a king. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to make some shit up. Right. Definitely. So apparently some people did come to explain the dream and they thought that it said, so some people thought that Pharaoh was going to have seven daughters that would then die. Other people said that he would conquer seven countries and then um, lose them. But apparently Pharaoh wasn't satisfied with these because it didn't explain why the the fat cows and the thin cows were seen together in his dream. So there's like the good thing and the bad mm, thing together yeah. at the same time. And that's why Joseph's explanation of you're going to have seven. So he tells Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of prosperity and then seven years of famine, which I still don't really think that satisfies the whole good and the bad at the same time, you know? Yeah. I mean, the good thing is still happened, you know, but then it still kind of gets taken away by the famine. Yeah. So. Did that come from a a midrash interpretation or something? Uh, It was a blog. So Pharaoh is like super satisfied with Joseph's explanation of the dreams. So satisfied that he basically makes him king of everything. And he says, only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. So basically, you're just as great as me, but I have the throne and everything. Yep. Which is completely absurd. <laughs> he would just, he interprets one dream, and then now you're my secondhand man. Like, I trust you with everything now. Before it even unfolds, too. Yeah. He just, <laughs> this thing does happen, but yeah, he has no idea that it's going to. And Joseph does really well in this position. He 
basically everyone goes to him to buy grain. We become super rich and powerful. And I just think this story is kind of, it's kind of strange to me that God would have Joseph prophet in the position of being in Egypt and kind of like supposedly like living as an Egyptian. Because later on, we're to believe that the Egyptians are like the natural enemy of the Jews. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's weird. What if this was more modern day? This would be like saying a Jewish person rose to the ranks in Nazi Germany and became the second right hand man. Maybe that's really extreme. But you know, like yeah, these are people who I guess eventually it'd be in Germany before Germany goes Nazi. I don't know. But you know what I mean? He's making he's he's rising. Joseph is rising to power in in a group of people that aren't exactly friends, right? Of the Jews. So I don't know. That was weird. All right. It's your turn to tell us about Joseph Brothers. Yep, so then we get a real awkward reunion mm-hmm. uh, with Joseph and his brothers. So they show up in Egypt because the famine's going on. They need to buy some grain. Uh, Joseph decides good time to really mess with his brothers. So he goes ahead and accuses them of being spies, imprisons them for three days, and then sends them back, tells them, hey, leave one of your brothers, which ends up being Simeon, and you need to go back and get your other brother, Benjamin. And... Then he goes and puts their money back in their bags, the money that they had used to buy the grain, and then sends them on their way, which freaks them the hell out because they're like, now it looks like we stole the money. So they eventually, they're not, they don't plan on coming back because they don't want to have to deal with this, but they run out of food again and they have to go back. So they come back with double the money and with Benjamin, and Joseph decides to treat him to a feast, and then he gives, uh, he gives Benjamin, what, five times the food that he gives all the other ones? Yeah. It's like really obviously catering to Benjamin. Because it's like his his brother is what we're, yeah. Yeah, his favorite brother. It was his actual brother, right. not half-brother. So, And then plays some more games with him. After all this feasting and whatnot, he sends him back. And then he slips a silver cup into Benjamin's bags. <laughs> and then sends his steward to get them. And they're like, you stole this silver cup. And they imprison Benjamin. And they're freaking out because they're like, Benjamin's like the only. He's Jacob's Our dad ne- loves Benjamin. Yeah, the youngest and stuff. They decide that Benjamin's supposed to get put to to death and whatnot, and the rest are going to be slaves. But Judah pleads with Joseph, and then Joseph's soft spot comes out, and he just can't take anymore. So then he breaks down and tells him, yep, I'm your brother. Everything's okay. And uh, Judah falls on his knees, starts pleading, you know, I'm sorry for you know selling you out or whatever. Yeah. Uh, And Joseph tells him it's okay because this was all part of God's plan. Classic. Yeah, I was meant plan. to be here, so they would. This part is so it's so ridiculous too because he's like, I was meant to be here, so that way I could tell them that there's going to be this famine and stuff. But then we'll talk about it later. But he basically just takes advantage of everybody. Yeah, he, he's, he doesn't help them. The way it's written, it seems like he's saying, "I was meant to be here so that I could use this power that I have mm. to ensure that while everybody else is suffering from famine." our family will uh, do well and, you know, have plenty of grain and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, what, what a great moral story there. Mm-hmm. Also, just, like... Leverage your position for those around you. Mm-hmm. Also, like, have just, like, the worst prank ever to just keep fucking with your brothers until they cry and think that they're all going to die, basically. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so after Jacob learns that Joseph is, in fact, still alive... He takes his whole family up to Egypt, and Joseph helps him settle in, like, a new place. So he tells him to tell the Pharaoh that they're shepherds because 
Egyptians apparently think, or this is like word for word in the Bible. It says that because Egyptians think shepherds are. It says because shepherds are abhorrent to Egyptians. Okay. And then um, I think we both looked this up or ended up finding this. But So do you want to explain like what that actually means? Yeah. So I, I was really confused about that because it also talks about them having livestock mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it doesn't really make any sense that they hate shepherds if they have life, livestock. Mm-hmm. But pretty much just it's just saying they hate Jews is what it is. They don't don't like they just don't like Jews and they don't like want to eat with Jews or anything like that. There's discussion about that in other points where they can't eat with them because they're Jews. For some reason, they use shepherd to be sort of synonymous with the Jews in this case. Yeah. Really, what they're getting at there is that Joseph wants to specifically introduce his brothers to the Pharaoh because he does he wants to protect them. Yeah, so then they end up getting land in Goshen, and that's where they settle. And then, so then, uh, Joseph's predictions with the Pharaoh starts to come true. So they've had the seven prosperous years in Egypt, and then the famine starts to come in. And all the people of Egypt are really hungry, and they go to Joseph, basically, and the Pharaoh. And uh, Joseph takes their cattle in exchange for food. And then the next year they come back and they don't have their cattle to give. So then Joseph takes their land and gives them uh, seeds to farm. And he tells them that they can keep four-fifths, but they have to give one-fifth to uh, the pharaoh. So he basically reduces all of Egypt to serfdom. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, they have like better deal, I would say, than what we know as medieval serfdom. They get to keep a pretty large portion of it, but still, he takes away their freedom. Like, they're essentially slaves. Yeah, he takes it, they all have, you know, land and their own livestock and everything, and by the end of it, they're basically sharecroppers. Right? They don't own the land that they farm off of, and they have to, they can they can profit from it to some extent, but they, they have to give a certain amount in order to maintain the use of that land. Yeah, and it's so, it's so messed up because he gets this information from God, right? So apparently God is the one who reveals to him that there's going to be these seven years of, of famine. And instead of telling everybody so everybody can prepare, you know, in their own way, he just keeps that information for himself and then uses it to extort everybody. Yeah, I thought that was the whole pur- purpose of him <clears throat> telling the Pharaoh was, oh, cool, so you're going to stock up during the good years, have a huge stockpile, and then that way nobody will have to die when the famine comes around. You can take care of all the people. But no, it's about you can now use this information so that mm-hmm. you can gain more power for yourself and for the the crown. Right, because the whole time, like, they were stockpiling and saving all this grain, and they were prepared and, yeah, didn't tell anybody else, which to me says that that's endorsed by the Bible and God to do that. Yep. That's what the leaders in our Bible do. So then Jacob dies. It sort of is a long path to get there, but the next chapter talks about he brings all his sons in to see him because he knows he's about to die. He makes them grab his testicles again, and or <clears throat> similarly to what Abraham did, grab mm-hmm. his testicles and swear that they will bring his body back to the cave of the patriarchs mm-hmm. and not leave him in Egypt. And then he has Joseph bring Joseph's sons in to see him. So he, he brings them in and... He decides to bless the youngest son over the oldest son. They're sitting next to him, and he crosses his arms. He crosses his arms and puts his hand on one of the uh, uh, them instead of the other, and 
Joseph freaks out. He's like, no, that's the wrong son. Which is so weird to me because Joseph is, well, I guess he's the oldest of of Rachel, but he's still one yeah. of the younger sons who is going to, he's the one who like overcame mm-hmm. all of his other brothers. And he's like, so, sh- I, I don't know, that happens every time. They're always like, no, 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 no. like my oldest, it's got to be the oldest. And yet they're like a product of being the youngest who overtook their oldest. Yeah. Uh yeah, so you have that other another one of those stories where he says, No, it's gonna be the youngest, it's the the most powerful. And so he's essentially adopting Joseph's sons as his own so that they can sort of inherit. And then Jacob gives or yeah, Jacob gives prophecies for all of his sons, brings them in there and he sort of tells them a fortune. And it seems like it's supposed to be an origin story for all the different tribes of Israel. There's supposedly twelve tribes. And there seem to be some simple lessons that uh, about you know lust and wrath and what that's going to get for you. Yeah. So Reuben is the first one to get his blessing, and it, it seems like he finally gets what's coming to him with the whole messing around with Bilhah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Jacob removes his right as the firstborn. He basically just curses him. Yeah, doesn't he really get much of a blessing. <laughs> got like a you know a good first act basically, but then the rest of it's going to be downhill. Yeah, he says, my might and the first fruits of my vigor, excelling in rank and excelling in power, unstable as water, you shall no longer excel. And then it says, because you went up into my bed and defiled it. Yep. And then Simone and Le- Levi, he tells them because of their you know violence and their anger, their tribes will be divi- divided. Mm-hmm. That was because they did the whole thing with Dina and killed all those people. And then he blesses Judah. And I thought this one was the most interesting. He gives Judah a significant long blessing and it's a good one it's possibly one of the best ones i it might be better than uh joseph's even Uh, Um, yeah i think that's the best one yeah he even goes into talk about his looks he says his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk but i thought this one was interesting because i feel like this is a case of going back and rewriting it and like hindsight is 2020 kind of thing because judah's descendants end up doing really well and I feel like Judah wasn't really that popular of a character up until, well, just right now. Because he was the one who, it was his idea to profit off of selling Joseph, right? Yeah. And he was also the one who slept with his daughter-in-law and, and was going to kill her. Yes. So he's like kind of been a shady character. Definitely. And then now all of a sudden he's getting a really good blessing. Mm-hmm. So... And then there's Zebulon, who just says he'll settle by the sea. Isaacar, that one, Isaacar's is weird. It's a, it sounds like, it starts out sounding like he's complimenting him. He's like a strong donkey lying down between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. And then it says, so he bowed his shoulder to the burden and became a slave at forced labor. He's <laughs> like, oh, okay. It sounds like he's like just a man who likes, you know. Yeah. Hard work and like nope, he's a slave. Okay, and then for Dan, he made his also is kind of like backhanded. Mm-hmm. So it says Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its riders fall backwards. Or so that its rider falls backward. And I saw an interpretation of this or not an interpretation, but some people thought that Dan Dan's descendants would have the Antichrist because they reference like a snake in his. Mm. And as we know in the Bible, the snakes are never good. 
And then it goes to, to Gad. Gad will be raided and will raid back. So I'm not sure if they, they're a bunch of like Viking people or something where they're, you know, constantly raiding each other's villages or whatever. Maybe he's on kind of like the edge with another tribe or something. Mm-hmm. Naphtali is a doe let loose that will bear lovely fawns. So essentially just that that tribe has a lot of beautiful women. Mm-hmm. You skipped Asher. It says food will be rich and he shall provide royal delicacies. Oh, I didn't. I don't remember that one. Yeah. And then next we have Joseph, who we all, like, we know his is going to be good. That's another long one. And then last but not least, we have Benjamin, who I couldn't find anything on his, but I thought his was kind of interesting, too. It says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Yeah. It's weird. It sounds like, like a sweet little one, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, this whole time he's pretty much just described as, like, a kid, like, the treasured youngest one, and then it's like, now he's a wolf, and... <laughs> Right. Ravenous. So, yeah, which one's your favorite? Which blessing would you want to receive from so Jacob? Judah's is the best. Judah basically gets told he's going to be the the most powerful. He's going to have, he's going to be a king. Joseph's is pretty good, but it's mostly you're going to be blessed by God and multiply. It's not like Judah's is you're going to rule. Mm-hmm. I also, like you said, Judah's is interesting because you compare Judah's and Reuben's. Judah gets punished and Judah, or sorry, Reuben gets punished and Judah gets told that he's gonna be powerful mm-hmm. but reuben was the one who tried to save joseph and judah is the one who sells him out exactly like, reuben's only crime is sleeping with his father's concubine and potentially and not even that potentially stuff. just being pissed that his father chose a concubine over his other like main wife yeah uh, another thing here is that so again there's sort of this multiple sources going on where some of these are from Yahweh texts versus Loam texts. Mm-hmm. So the idea of there being 12 tribes, well, that's just the combination of the two different storylines. Because again, Judah doesn't show up in the Elohim versions of this. Yeah. Specifically Yahweh. And so uh, that's one of the reasons you get the Judah's is being so good is that Judah's is really good because the southern parts of Israel that saw that were named by for Judah as the kingdom of Judah. Yeah. Wrote it that way, right? This, this yeah. is like they're they're making up an origin story for all these people that live in the area. And so the ones who are writing it in the south are like Judah's going to be awesome. Yeah, that's then, exactly what it sounds north. like too cuz it comes out of nowhere. It's yeah. just like, "Oh, and also Judah is amazing. We all love Judah." Right. And yeah, the ones in the north are like, "Yeah, Joseph's going to be amazing." Mm-hmm. Uh because Joseph is really seen as the line of Israel and you know, Israel is the name of the northern parts. Yeah, I like Asher's blessing the most. I would I want to be the country with the best food. Yeah. Oh, also, Dina doesn't get shit. Dina is his only daughter. Only Dina is his only daughter, and she doesn't get a blessing. Yeah, the daughters don't inherit; they just get married off. I yeah. I get that, like their... and I I resent it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I I really do wonder what happened with her because apparently they, she can't be married off, so I don't really know what the deal is there. But yeah, she just becomes whatever some other father prophesized for his son, I guess. You know what? That is so true. We, I'm pretty sure she does marry him, but then they go in and kill everyone, and so it's kind of unclear. Do they kill Schmeckel or whatever his name was? Schmeckel. <laughs> uh, yeah, they kill Sketchum, I'm sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but then they're yeah, not going to marry her off to a Hivite. Yeah, but then we have no. I mean, so then a, presumably she would move back in with her father, 
Yeah. Anyway, I just think it's weird. That's not, much. It's not weird. It's intentional because they just don't give a shit about women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I hate it. Okay, so after he blesses, after he gives all his sons a blessing, then Jacob dies. And then we hear this little story about how Joseph forgives his brothers. And they do this thing where it seems like they make up a story that Jacob's dying wish was for Joseph to forgive his brothers. Yeah. Because, yeah, we don't see that anywhere. Like, we saw before, the only thing he seemed to wish for was that just not to be buried in Egypt. But it doesn't matter. Joseph forgives his brothers. And then it just seems like Joseph lives a good life, and then he dies. And that's the end of Genesis. Yeah, that's pretty much it. There's not really much else important that comes in. But there is a line in Joseph's death where he talks about the sons of his two sons, which were... I don't have their names. Yeah. <laughs> the sons of his two sons, he they're born on his knees. You see that? Wait, okay, so his... Joseph's sons' sons are born on Joseph's knees? Yeah, that's what it says. Okay, that's weird. So it's really... When I looked into what, what that's all about, that's kind of like what Jacob did with Joseph's sons. He adopts them. And apparently this um, is like a um, a thing that they had to do at the time. Is In order to become a, uh, an Israelite, you had to be adopted by your grandfather, sort of. Okay. Right, because that's what kind of brings you into the lineage of hmm. Abraham. That's so interesting. And then, yeah, Joseph asks his brothers and uh or his sons to carry his bones back to back to Can uh the land of Canaan mm-hmm. eventually. Which I thought was strange. Why not just have them take you to the cave of the patriarchs like your like Jacob did? Yeah. The weird interpretations I saw of that were like something about him having faith in his people to eventually go back to the land of Canaan. Mm. All right, well, since we finished an entire chapter of the Bible, which I'm really impressed. Entire book. Entire book, that's what I meant, yeah. One of the longest. Let's talk about what we learned. (laughs) What lessons did we take away from the book of Genesis? All right, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first. So my first one is incest is cool, but only sometimes. And in some cases. Yeah. Are you going to do all of yours at once? or? Oh, no, I thought we would go back and forth. Okay, my big one was misogyny. I wrote that um, I when I was first like <laughs> brainstorming I wrote racist misogynist. Yeah, I, in my head I have that uh that video of the Australian prime minister right before she leaves office when mm-hmm. she just like goes off. Mm-hmm. She's like misogyny <laughs> every day in this chamber. <laughs> she just starts yelling at him. That's what I think of, but it's just constant victim blaming, having little involvement in the plot, almost no dialogue, always passive voice. It's always this happens to them. Uh, there's there's almost no active voice used when they're talking about the women. Yeah, my next lesson that I took away was never marry a Canaanite woman. They will curse your family. Yep, <laughs> I had the same essential thought, which is ethnic purity or chosenness over others. The constant idea that all these other people, you know, if you marry them, bad things are going to happen to you, mm-hmm. and keep our lines pure. Yeah, no interracial mixing. We bad. Yeah, I don't even know if they they seem like they're all pretty much the same race, though. It's not even like different races as cultural groups. Whenever I read historical back in the Bible, I never got that sense. Like, I, I don't know, because it, it doesn't talk about their skin color or anything like how we know of race today. But it seems like however they kind of imagine race, because it's ever changing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that 
like how we think of race is how they thought of race. I mean, probably not. Yeah, it is uh, but just like the different. idea of like this is our group and that's your group and we yeah don't. otherness yeah the next thing I had was the youngest sibling is always the coolest as long as you're a boy because you know we don't care about women yeah or if you were born of the favorite wife you got to be of the favorite wife and be the youngest mm-hmm. although that I feel like that's not really the case for Ben and Joseph because Joseph is he's like one of the youngest of all his other brothers but then Benjamin is like the youngest youngest and. That doesn't make him any cooler. So. Right. My last one was inconsistency. Mm-hmm. We ha- you have repeated, sometimes mutually exclusive stories. Mm-hmm. The retelling of the creation story in Genesis that doesn't match with the other one. The repeated telling people that your wife is your sister. Mm-hmm. You have the varying style in writing where the first telling of Genesis is poetic. The second is more uh, prose style. Mm-hmm. And then the awkward reads that come out of some of these, the way things are cut together, like the Ham and Noah story where it's confusing of if they're talking about seeing someone naked or not. And then it's confusing because he curses a son that's not even in the story. Right. So stuff like that. Yeah. My last lesson was you can get away with anything if God likes you. Yeah. Well, that's what what you should remember, people. (laughs) Get away with anything if God likes you. Yeah. I'm so excited that we actually finished one. So... Uh, what, do you know the next chapter of the Bible? Next book is Exodus. Yeah. So get pumped for running out of Egypt. <laughs> All right. Bye, y'all.